The second Bible reading is taken from the First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. You can find in some of your pew Bibles uh, in page 1237. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we live among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is God's word. Thank you, Christine, for reading so clearly. And thank you to Brian, who, who prayed in a way that reflected my heart and my prayers as well. So thank you. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians, uh, one of the epistles. And hopefully in the coming months, we'll actually work our way through 1 Thessalonians. So uh, if you like, you can read ahead. Um, over the next few weeks, Chris will be back, so he'll be preaching. But in the coming months, we hope to look through this, uh, this epistle. Uh, but do keep your Bibles open. Uh, we want to... See that this is what God says, not what I say, but what God says. And so we sit under his word, so keep it open. And so let's uh, turn to God in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will convict our hearts with your truth, fill our minds with your way, and move our hands towards your cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our friends, did you know that in Australia, there are more churches than there are schools. There are, in fact, 13,000 churches, while only 9,500 schools. Now, isn't that interesting? More churches than schools. And you can pretty much say that every single church has their own different flavour, their own unique flavour, their different way of doing things, there are different ways of organising ministry, running ministries, different emphasis. I'm sure different churches will have different times given to singing, different types of songs, whether you use hymns or not. And different churches will have given, different times given to the sermon. Or some churches, no sermons at all. Imagine that. 
Some are formal, some are informal, some are traditional, some are contemporary. In my life, I've been a member of four separate churches. This is our fourth one, and each one of those had their own different flavour. But given that there are so many different churches, so many different ways of doing church, 9, I mean 13,000 churches in Australia, we want to know, as a church here in Surrey Hills, how do we know that we are on track? How can we be certain that we are going down the right path as a church? Well, many of you will know that in our denomination, we are governed by what we call elders. So three will join the eldership on the 13th, God willing. So on the local church level, we're governed by these elders. That's called the session. In the regional area, we're part of Melbourne East. That's called the presbytery. They're the authority over us. On the state level, there's the assembly. And on the national level, there is the General Assembly of Australia. So they work as our governing authorities. And so what's meant to happen in a Presbyterian church in Victoria anyway, every five years, each local church in our state is meant to receive a visit from the regional authority, from the presbytery. They're meant to go from church to church. Every five years, every church is meant to receive a visit. And they're meant to see how the church is going, to see whether the church is going on track. And so they sit in the services, they meet with the members, they ask questions, they meet with the elders and the board, they assess, they re review the church. They encourage and they also correct if needed. So that's the denomination that we're a part. Now I've been here about almost six and a half years, we haven't received a visit just yet, meant to happen once every five years, so we can expect one very soon. But even without a presbytery visit, how do we assess as Christians, as a church, how do we assess that we're on the right track? How do we assess ourselves? Well, today in this letter, we get to see how Paul assesses, how Paul assessed the church in Thessalonica. We see in this letter what his concerns were. We see in this letter how he encouraged them. And we see in this letter whether they were on track. And so it's a great letter especially in the time that we're in, a great letter for us to reflect on, to meditate on, to think about and to pray through. How can we make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing? Well, in this letter, Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica, which was a city in Macedonia or the northern parts of modern Greece. This was a church, a very young church, that Paul himself was involved in, in establishing and planting. He did this with a group of other Christians. But Paul had to leave this church in our first reading in Acts. He had to leave this church as a very young church. They were still in their infancy, so very young Christians. And so just like any pastor, he was greatly concerned, deeply concerned for them. They were like newborn Christians. And this letter was written perhaps only a few months after he left them. This was perhaps Paul's very first letter. And so he writes in this letter how they're tracking as a church, a young church. And what we find in this letter is an incredibly encouraging letter, like, like a parent to a child. And so what we find in this letter is what really any church wants to receive from an apostle. Though they were very young, infants in their faith, they were growing rather than despairing. 
They were maturing rather than abandoning their faith. They were flourishing rather than weakening. And so what we see from Paul's assessment, this church is filled with Christians who are genuine. They are the real deal. Infants in the faith, but yet real and growing. But what was it that convinced Paul that they were going well? Well, we can see from his letter, we get to hear from the heart of the apostle, and it's a wonderful prayer. We see from his prayer itself. See, for Paul's first and foremost, he recognizes that they're tracking well as Christians, not because of them, but because of God. And so he thanks God for them. It's interesting. Look at verse 2. He says, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. You see, that's always the right response when you see a church growing. If you're maturing, if you're growing, it's not good on you or good on me or good on us, good on us and our efforts. But when we see growth, we praise God, for that is what God is doing in us and through us. And you see, Paul, he recognized, he saw the evidence of their growth. They're genuine Christians. They have, have the three things that make up a Christian. They have faith, they have love, and they have hope. Faith, love, and hope. Now, Yvonne and myself, we in fact planned to use faith, love, and hope as the middle names of the three daughters, if God were to give us three daughters. Well, we've only got one, so it is Esther Faith. We couldn't bring ourselves to use love and hope for our two boys, so that won't work. That's our plan. God had different plans. But, but this church, they had faith in God. God promised, you can have eternal life if you trust in me, if you trust in my son. You can have eternal life. You can be assured today that you'll be in heaven. And what did they do? They didn't work for it. They just believed it. And that produced a good work in them. They also, we see in this letter, they have love for each other, for one another. They labored, they work hard in loving each other. And it was costly, but they did it. And they had hope. You see, they recognized that this life is not all there is. There is more, and so they endured. They persevered in hope. They show real Christian perseverance, faith, love, and hope. And so we see in verse 3, have a look. We continually... Remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can see that this church, though young, though in their infancy, therefore real, they're genuine Christians. Their life has been completely reorientated. They're drawn towards God in faith. They're drawn towards each other in love, and they're drawn towards the new creation in hope, faith, love, and hope. And so John Stott, the great theologian, he commented about this and he said, every Christian, without exception, is a believer, a lover, and a hoper. It's a nice, succinct little summary, isn't it? They are the marks of a genuine Christian. And that's important to recognize, isn't it, for ourselves, for our church. These are the genuine marks. I mean, there's fake stuff around everywhere. We see it all the time. About two years ago, this day, I was in uh, Turkey on, on the study tour. 
That was a very difficult study tour. Um, hard work it was, but we visited a lot of markets on this tour in Turkey, and they sold a lot of fake stuff, fake stuff everywhere. But they made a distinction between the fake, fake stuff and the genuine fake stuff. And so you have fake, fake stuff, and then you had genuine fake stuff. They had designer branded watches, handbags, clothing. The fake, fake stuff was really fake, really cheap, won't last. But then they had the genuine fake stuff. Um, and so I picked up a wallet. They said, this is fake, but it's genuine fake because it's at least real leather. 20 bucks, a real one would have cost 440 bucks. Well, two years later, I've stopped using that wallet. You can imagine why. But with that wallet, I knew that it was fake. I wasn't fooled. But it's worth asking the question, isn't it? For each of us, am I a genuine Christian? Am I a fake? Or am I a genuine fake, which is a fake anyway? Am I drawn towards God in faith? Am I drawn towards each other as brothers and sisters in love? Do I really love the people here? Am I drawn towards the new creation in hope? And so John Calvin he himself, he did not exaggerate when he caught these three, faith, love and hope, a brief definition of true Christianity. And so here the Apostle Paul, super pleased to hear how this young church, infant Christians, how they are growing as Christians. They are genuine. They did not abandon the gospel of Christ. But of course, Paul's concern was not just that they are genuine Christians, but whether they were effective Christians, whether they were useful and fruitful Christians. You see, being a Christian is great. Crossing the line, being on God's side, that is a wonderful thing. That is great to be saved. It is the grace of God. But now that you are saved, be fruitful. And that's what Paul recounts here. He's heard reports of how they're bearing fruit in the gospel. And it's very encouraging in this letter. It's the way all churches are meant to be. Not just saved Christians, not just genuine Christians, but fruitful Christians bearing fruit. And how is this fruit seen? Well, the gospel came to them. They received it. They believed it. And it sounded out from them. It didn't stop at them. It went out from them. And so firstly we see here, the gospel came to them. But Paul here describes how it came to them. And this is worth us understanding. You see, when we share the gospel with our friends, our colleagues, our family members, it can often appear quite weak and ineffective and fruitless and feeble. I mean, these are just words we're sharing. And they're the words of a crucified carpenter. I mean, who would believe in that? But it's perhaps the most powerful thing you'll ever do in life. Far more important, far more powerful than anything we can achieve in this world. Just sharing these words of a crucified carpenter. I mean, just think about that. Nothing we, come, nothing we do comes close to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we all, if we are citizens, we're able to vote in our land, in our nation, and voting is a powerful thing we get to do. I mean, wars were fought over so that people can vote. We get to vote in the next government, we get to vote out the next government, 
But as powerful as voting is, it's got nothing on this. Proclaim the gospel, and that can save souls. Leading a major corporation, that's a powerful thing, to be CEO. I mean, many people listening to you, doing your thing, whatever you say, however you direct the company. But that's nothing compared to this. Proclaim the gospel, and you can save souls. Being president, extremely powerful, perhaps the most powerful person in the world. Lead a whole nation, lead the world. So many people to do your bidding. But that's got nothing on this. Proclaim the gospel and you can save souls. This past week, I had the great joy of having a, a guy who was seeking... He contacted me, contacted me over email and we had some exchanges, but he was seeking. He wanted to find out. He wanted to explore faith. He came over. I had the great joy and privilege of sharing the gospel with him. Went through two ways to live with him. Now, I don't know whether I did a good job or not. The kids were a bit crazy and I'm trying to share the gospel, but they're still being crazy. I stumbled. I stuttered. I don't think I did a very good job. But you see, the word of God is powerful. Because the Spirit of God works alongside the Word of God. The Word of God is not alone because the Spirit of God applies the Word of God. And it came to power to them. It came with power to them. Have a look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Paul says here, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. That's how the gospel came to them. So what did they do? The gospel came, well, they received it. They didn't dismiss it, they didn't ignore it, they didn't think, well, this gospel is rubbish and unbelievable. But they received it. But just as Paul was persecuted for proclaiming it, they were also persecuted for receiving it, but they received it anyway. In fact, more than that, they imitated Paul's zeal, Paul's love, Paul's faith, Paul's character. And in imitating Paul, the one who planted this church, the one who brought them to faith, in imitating Paul, they were also imitating Paul's Lord. They were imitating Christ. And so look, verses 6 and 7, follow me. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And so what's Paul's assessment of them, this young church? Well, they were genuine, but they were also fruitful. The gospel not only saved them, but was effective in them. And even within our church here, we've seen fruits like that. This was a story I heard recently. A lady who only became a Christian, a lapsed Christian, but became a Christian because she came to be a part of our church family and our growth groups. She became a Christian last year. So encouraging. She was baptised only last month. And there's so much joy in her life now because now she realises how much God loves her. And it's so much joy to see how much love she has as a 
young Christian, as one who is flourishing and is bearing fruit in the gospel. I mean, that's what happens, isn't it, when you receive the gospel. And so what else do you expect to happen once you've received it? If it's so good, we never keep it to ourselves. The gospel is sounded forth. It goes out like a great trumpet call. It doesn't just come and, and, and get stuck. It goes out far and wide. And so we see, Paul says, verses 8 to 10 now, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. I mean, this was a small infant church, but their faith has become known everywhere. And then Paul continues, Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And what about their faith was being made known? Verse 9, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Paul's pretty clear on this church, isn't it? It's a great assessment. Wonderful letter to receive. Their conversion was genuine. That's what always happens when anyone comes, becomes a Christian. You turn from serving things, things in this world, things that will not last. You turn from serving wealth or reputation or comfort or whatever idols there are in this world. You turn from them and you turn to serve the living and true God. And so every Christian must be able to say, my allegiance is to God first. My allegiance is to God first before everyone else and before everything else. For every Christian we must be able to say, I love him first. And so for them, Paul saw a decisive break with idols an active service of God, but there's also this wonderful hope, this patient waiting for Christ. You see, as, as Christians, we never live for this world. Yes, we are in this world, but we never live for this world. We live in this world awaiting our eternal home, our heavenly home where we'll be with God forever. We need to be thinking, not just in 10 years, not just in 50 years. We need to be thinking in a thousand years, where will we be? And so it is this glorious gospel that sounded forth from this young church. And that must happen in every church of Christ. Now another one who joined our church recently. I mean, there's a lot of very encouraging reports I've been hearing. In fact, I, I met this uh, person only started to come to our church a few months ago. But I met her on the tram to the city just this past week. And she was sharing how, because she now believes, she was sharing the gospel to her friends, to her atheist friends, to her agnostic friends, to her Buddhist friends. And she was sharing with so much joy. She's delighted and thankful that she now has a relationship with God. And she wants to share that with her friends. You see, when you receive the gospel, it sounds forth from you. And how encouraging is that? Once the gospel is received, it must sound forth. And that is what must always happen. They were, we see, genuine Christians and fruitful Christians. And so that's a letter. It's quite a simple letter, but so encouraging. A letter that any church would want to receive from the apostle. 
But when we read these few verses, it should cause us all to reflect on our church. Some of us are recent comers here. Some of us have been here for a few years. Some of us have been here for a few decades. But reading a letter like this should cause us to reflect on what our church is like. This was a young church, but we're no longer a young church. This church here was established 131 years ago. So are we on the right track? What do you think? Are the things that concern us as a church the things that should really concern us? We're thinking not just five years, ten years, remember a thousand years from now. Are those concerns our concerns? And so if Presbytery had their visitation any time, any day, do you think we'll pass their tests? What do you think? Or imagine the Apostle Paul, if he were to come and to observe and to make an assessment, he sits in on our services, he goes out to the kids' church, he joins our growth groups, he sees the evening service, he sees what happens around this church during the week. When he comes and sees, what do you think his assessment would be? Would he encourage us the way he did the Thessalonians? What do you think? You see, not all Presbyterian churches have remained faithful to the Scriptures. And it is a sad fact. David Cook, our previous Moderator General of Australia, when he was Moderator General, he attended the Assembly of the Church of Scotland. Over in Scotland, that's the, in a sense the mother church, where we came from. When he attended Assembly, he was in fact quite saddened by what he heard. They're progressive now, very progressive, relevant in society. But the lordship of the risen Lord Jesus is so disregarded in the Church of Scotland. And that's why you have break-off denominations like the We Freeze. Now, isn't that sad? That a Church of Christ can deny the Christ of the Church. And David Cook, when he visited, he, he went on to say, our mother church has tragically left the family home. And so that should be cause for us to assess our own church. Even churches do go off track. And so we need to assess ourselves. We need to do this because it stops us from being complacent, just going with the flow, just staying busy for busy's sake, just getting caught up by whatever is happening in society. It stops us from being complacent when we assess ourselves well. And so what do you think? Well, I hope this passage challenges us, especially at this time. We all want to be genuine Christians. We should be, with faith, love and hope. And we all want to be fruitful Christians, not just crossing the line, I'm safe now, and that's it, my hands are, hands are busy with other things. No, we want to be fruitful Christians where the gospel is received and it goes forth from us. And so there should be a few questions we should all be asking ourselves. And the first one is, am I genuine? Not just us corporately, but you individually. Am I genuine? Do I believe this? Is Jesus Christ my King and Saviour? Do I really believe that? 
And no point having a church where there is no faith. Do we all know individually where we stand before God today? If I was to lose my life today, do I know where I stand before God today? Because if you don't, you want to. You need to. We must all be able to say, I'm a great sinner, how wretched I am. But Jesus is my great saviour and because of him, I can stand before God with his righteousness today. And do I express genuine love for the saints here? We meet each Sunday, we spend about an hour or two together, but do we express genuine love, genuine concern for each other's spiritual growth, spiritual well-being, to love even when it is costly? And many of you do show that type of love. Not just what you do on Sunday, but what you do during the week, how you pray, how concerned you are. To love even when it is costly. You see, to love is always costly, but that is genuine. And do I have enduring hope? I mean, this life might be good for some of us. It might be very good, very easy, very comfortable. But this life is not all there is. There is far better, far greater. What one, one preacher once said, two minutes in heaven, just two minutes in heaven, will make all the joys and happiness in this life seem childish. Isn't that a wonderful perspective? Being in heaven for two minutes make all the joys here just seem so, so tiny. So do we have faith, love and hope? Are we genuine? We all need to ask ourselves, not just as a church, but individually. And of course, the second question is, are we fruitful? No point having a church filled with Christians who sit on their hands. And so, do I proclaim it? Does the gospel come out from my mouth as well? Not just from the church, by what we do in our outreach, but does it come out from my own very mouth? I mean, if I haven't yet, I want to be such a Christian who knows the gospel so well. This is what I believe. I know it. Of course I know it. But I also want to share it. Share it winsomely. Share it persuasively. Share it prayerfully. I want to be able to be the Christian who knows exactly what to do to bring someone to faith. Of course, it is God who always gives the growth, but I want to be involved. I want to be the bringer of the hope of eternal life to a dying soul. Am I fruitful in that way? John Stott, again, he he made a, a damning comment on the church. He said one time, if every church had been faithful, the world would long ago have been, have been evangelized. It's a damning indictment, isn't it? If churches were in focus, the whole world would have been evangelized already. You see, in any church, we must remember, there's not just one evangelist, that's the minister. There's not just ten evangelists, that's the elders. There are in our church, how many evangelists? Well, if we combine the morning and evening service, there are about 300 of us. There, are, there should be 300 evangelists. And so are we fruitful Christians? 
You see, genuine and fruitful Christian living doesn't call for only one day a week. Being genuine and fruitful Christians doesn't call for only 10% of our life, or 20%, or 40%, or even 99%, and, and we might feel, well, aren't I good? I give 99%. No, genuine Christian and fruitful Christians, it demands 100% of our lives. Because if you think about it, how many percent did Jesus give of his life to us? On the cross, did he shed only 10% of his blood? Did he shed only 40% of his blood? Or did he only shed 99% of his blood and kept 1% to himself? Well, no. Jesus gave 100% of his life for us. You see, genuine Christians call for 100%. No complacency, no laziness in Christian living. And that must be our challenge. Now, over the years of being involved in this church, we've been here almost six and a half years, there have been many things that we got to see, got to observe, that has encouraged us, encouraged us as a family, encouraged me personally, extremely greatly, to show that we are on track. Now, I shared this, this story uh, a few weeks ago in our evening service, but at home, in front of my coffee machine, I've got this little bench, there's some fruit basket there that's always going off. No one's eating those fruit. But next to that, I've got a whole stack of cards that I've received. Cards from our church members. Christmas cards and thank you cards. Christmas cards that go back for a few years. I haven't thrown them out. Now, I don't keep them there because I feel sorry for myself. I just need to look at these cards and feel how popular I am in church. It's not because I feel sorry for myself, but it reminds me to be encouraged by what God is doing in our church. You see, there are so many genuine fruitful Christians amongst us, and we must be praising God for that. Now, I'll share some of these cards, the, the comments, with you. This is one written by a couple. A couple who writes to say that they're praying that we would continue to serve God with joy and never losing our first love that God would sustain us. I mean, isn't that genuine and fruitful Christian living? This next one is from a newly married couple that I had the joy of marrying. They, they wrote to say how they prayed that their marriage will be conformed and shaped by the gospel and that they would use their marriage to encourage others in years to come. I mean, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that genuine and fruitful Christian living? Here's another one written by three ladies. Encouraged to see the fruitful teaching of the Word of God here and the humble ministry they see. And they're praying for how we can continue to care for the flock that God has entrusted to us, to keep Christ at the center always. I mean, isn't that genuine and fruitful Christian living? Here's another one written by our, our past three student ministers. In fact, we got to visit two of them yesterday in Geelong, um, Ollie and Cassie and also the Daroons. If you do not know, the Daroons had a little baby boy about three weeks ago. Hunter? That hasn't been announced. Well, now it's announced. They've, they've got a boy, Hunter. He's a manly boy. But anyway, we got to see them yesterday and, 
and pray with them and we're so grateful to see how they're traveling. But this was a card they wrote last year, the three students. They, They wrote to say how they desire to follow Christ in his example. I mean, isn't that genuine and fruitful Christian living? And this one here, last one, written by a sister who not long after joining our church, she writes how she feels at home in our church that loves Christ. And she wrote this. I found this so encouraging. She, she wrote, I can't wait to grow in my reverence and love for Christ, along with others. I can't wait to bring more and more non-Christian friends to church. I can't wait to be constantly learning about Christ's character. I can't wait to love others the way I've been loved and to further God's kingdom. I mean, isn't that genuine and fruitful Christian living? I mean, these people are from our church. Doesn't that warm your heart? I didn't share that so that you can write cards for me and feel sorry for me. That was not the purpose. But really for us to be encouraged by what God is doing amongst us. And finally, our prayer. My prayer, your prayer. How are we really tracking? What will Paul say? What would Jesus say? Well, just quietly between us. I think Paul will be thanking God for us too. Not because we're great. We're not great. But because God is great. And he is working in and through us. You see, our times sitting under the Word of God, reading the Bible, studying, hearing it, praying through it, that is bearing fruit. And so many of you love and serve in so many ways no one else sees. But that is fruitful Christian living. Now, of course, in a church like ours, in the coming months, there are more. there is a lot of work to do, far more work to be done, always more to be done. But we can be thankful to God. We're at least... Have this right. We're a gospel-centered church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you are doing in us, through us, and amongst us. And so we thank you that there is work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you will help us all day by day to be faithful and fruitful in our Christian walk, imitating Christ in all we do for the good of your church and for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour. The church said, Amen.